This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to episode 278 of the Stacey West podcast. My name is Gary. I am one of your regular hosts. And as always, I'm joined by one of our regular pundits, uh, Mr. Lamming. Didn't have a game today, I understand, so he's actually got a smile on his face. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, feel fresh. Uh, feel <laughs> just in a good mood, you know. Um, you can't lose if you don't play. No. No. <laughs> what a great concept. I bet uh, Paul Vale will probably be wishing that they didn't play uh, more often, to be honest. So, no, I came back. So, I, I obviously, as listeners will find out or know, um, I stayed in Lincoln last night after uh, going to Vale and I drove past your pitch at like 10 past 10 and I thought, oh, rugby, I've got a game. Shall I call in or not? Uh, and chose obviously not to and it's good because you didn't and it was the kids and it looks weird if you turn up and watch a kids game and you don't have a vested interest in one of the children and by that I mean own one of them not you know (laughs) I like that child because that's weird maybe we should start recording this again Uh, (laughs) so so yeah Um, it was an interesting day this podcast is going to be a little bit different I think uh, because usually both people on the podcast have watched the game that's certainly the case here um, but both people on the podcast uh, today probably didn't have the same view of the game. Um, so as I understand it, you were watching it probably from Aruba or um, Austria or something like that yesterday? It was Belize yesterday, actually. Belize. Okay, mm. so you were, you were watching from Belize uh, and you got a better view from Belize as I got from the stand behind the goal. Um, and I took my glasses with me, um, but I was on the fun bus and you know things are not going to go well when you're washing your breakfast down uh, with pints. And it's only my second drink of the year as well. So lots of haziness. If anyone's listening to this and they thought, well, I saw you at Port Vale and you were rude or dribbling or something like that. My apologies. Um, the afternoon went so quick. It's crazy. We went back to Matt, made Matt's at the end of the night and played pool. Um, I think I won. I think I beat Matt. I think he missed a crucial black. He did. It was three, two, well, two one to me. So yeah, one pull. Yay me. Um, but yeah, it's just like, where's the day gone? Where has the day gone? 
And I blame Wass on coffee. I blame Nigel Wass to a degree because I was happy drinking pints. I know where I am. And then he started bringing shots, like a coffee shot type thing through. But yeah, away days are always good, aren't they? Yeah, well, the last one was Steve Lynch for you, wasn't it? That you did something yes. similar. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Probably, let's be honest, a similar quality game. Yeah, a yeah. very, very different outcome this time round, which is uh, certainly preferable. And I think, um, I was actually thinking halfway through the second half, because in the first half, I think we had, we, we don't, we're obviously going to go into more depth of this, but first off, we had more of the play and the ball was in Port Vale's half of the pitch probably more than it was in ours. So therefore it was the other end of the pitch to where you were sat. Then in the second half, it was probably the opposite of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> all you really got was the penalty in the end and and, and that was it. So I, I get the feeling you probably didn't see a lot of football um, like into the close quarters, but he did get the penalty at the end and a, a real nice moment with all the squad and the manager at the end, which I, it looked like a real nice moment that did it. Yeah, it, you know, it's when you win away, there is something quite special about it when, when you are there. And, you know, I don't go to every away game. I confess that just in case Martin Green's listening and he wants to mention it on Twitter. Um, he'll probably blame it on Jez, I would imagine, because he blames everything else on Jez. But, um, yeah, I don't go to uh, every away game. And, you know, one or two recently have kind of been away games that have been ruined a little bit by football. Um, away matches, like I think we were at Stevenage before that. I mean, Sheffield United was a really good away. Uh, we went to Sheffield Wednesday last year, which was the draw, but you're kind of up on the second tier away from the um, from from the manager and the players. So it was quite good. Um, I like Port Bell's ground as well. I think it's a... Uh, it's kind of a, it's an old school football ground. It's not a, a faceless, soulless bowl. I mean, it's not perfect, but it feels like a an old school football ground. We got there just in time for um, kickoff. And I think the first thing that I saw was the net rippling. Uh, but we'll, we'll strip it back. First of all, let's talk about the team selection because got on the bus. And somebody said Ben House isn't playing. And it felt quite incidental to me at the time. I was more worried about getting a bottle of water uh, and going for a wee. So, um, but it isn't, is it? It's, it? it's a big thing to get that team news through and kind of look down and think, actually, no, no Ben House. And you just said off air as well, no Jack Boras, no Ethan Hamilton, no Freddie Draper. It's kind of beginning to affect us again, do you think, or not? Um, some of those names I think more important than others. It certainly affected depth. Um, but Ben House being out, I think we've we've seen we've seen in the last few games how much we've missed him because he's just superb at this level. He really is. He offers something that no one else does in our team. I argue he offers something no one else does in this league um, in the role that he plays. Um, so him not being involved was a real disappointment. I was I was just really concerned about the fact he might have picked up a, an injury. He might be some sort of recurrence. Turns out he's um, just unwell. I feel bad about saying he's only unwell. Oh, good. He's got he's got the lurgy. Oh, good. Um, but, it, but it means that he's obviously not out for a sustained period, which is which is a positive. Uh, but it did concern me yesterday because um, prior to this game, you know, I felt quite confident going into Port Vale, but that was with the assumption that, that Ben was going to be part of the team. We knew that Hamilton was going to miss out, which I think is a big miss. We knew that Freddie's still not quite ready to join, which I think definitely depletes us in terms of depth. But um, we expected Ben to be in the, in the team. And I was reasonably confident but I was a little bit um, in the back of my mind thinking, you know, there is there's the kind of the intangibles here of there's all the numbers. There's the run that Port Vale have been on. Um, but there's also the fact that it's Darren Moore's first home game. And, and that always gives gives the home crowd, uh, crowd a lift, certainly early doors. 
Um, and then to see Ben miss out, it made me just kind of maybe be a little bit more concerned about that element more than it did without when I was expecting him to be in the team. But of course, that gave Danny Mandroyu a chance to to start in a more advanced position. So out of possession, he was we played we played three five two for the majority of the game. He was out of possession in in that two up top with Taylor, but in possession, Danny roamed loads. So it was almost like a three, uh, two wing backs, Ethan Arahan holding, um, two eights in McGrandles and Bishop, and then a number ten in Danny Mandrew with a real free roam, and then just one up top in 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 um, in Taylor. And I think the idea was it was going to allow us to flood the midfield a little bit, and then we're trying to hit the, hit the switches when we can it's a really big pitch at Port Vale. So I saw the idea, but let's, there's no denying that that was only a bit of a last-minute decision because we was expected to play Ben House up there in, in the front two. So, yeah, in terms of team selection, disappointing, I have to say, but within a couple of minutes of the of the kickoff, I don't think any of us really cared too much. Well, everything changes, doesn't it? Everything changes when you score an early goal. And sometimes it can be... Uh, an Achilles heel and we saw that in the playoff final a couple of years ago we scored early against Blackpool and, and your game plan kind of goes out the window a little bit now if our game plan didn't go out the window it was very negative for the rest of the game but actually I think that that, that goal gave us something to defend and look when you're when you've got the best defensive records outside the top two in the division um, you can't you can't be giving or when your opponent's got it you can't be giving the ball away like that and in real time it looked like not just what's he done, but he's gifted that to Taylor and Taylor's rolled it into an empty net. Having watched it back a couple of times, I'm actually really impressed with Joe Taylor in that moment because it isn't a gimme. Because by the time he's got the ball and he's taking the effort, he's almost got, I think it's two defenders coming across the front of him and the keeper is almost back in position. So I actually, I think the XG, by the way, on that is 0.03. Mm -hmm. Um I think that's a bit low. I think if 97 times out of 100 you miss that, you know, what you use in a golf club, you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, you know, three weeks ago, in my opinion, Joe Taylor has as much chance to, of missing that as he does scoring it. And I think the goal from last weekend has just given him that confidence. He's a finisher. You're never going to see him getting a ball, taking people on, providing goals for others. He's a finisher. And I think he took, you know, what was a real, which was what was a gift. But I think he took it really well. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he certainly took it well. There, were, there was more to do than just roll it into an empty net, as you said. Um, he showed good anticipation. Let's be honest; he was nowhere near ten yards away when the free kick was taken. Um, but the referee blew his whistle, so the refs clearly happy with with the setup. Um, you know, let's be honest. I think ninety percent of people in the ground are expecting that ball to be launched up the pitch. Most, you know, early early doors in that moment. Um, so. If I'm a Port Vale fan, I'd actually be quite angry at the fact he wasn't 10 yards away because you'd expect the referee to at least police that a little bit. But he's blown, he's blown his whistle and they played the ball across the 18-yard box with a dreadful pass. Like, that deserves to be punished. Like, if you're a centre-half yeah. and you play that pass, you deserve to concede a goal. Simple as that. And Joe gave us a, a, a lead to hang on to. Now, the pitch was genuinely dreadful yesterday. Um, it, it's not dreadful in regards to it being bald like it was at... Burton, but it was just so bubbly. There was just little tufts of grass here, there, and everywhere. And it, what it meant is that there was really limited ability to play any sort of silky football, any sort of real kind of high tempo technical football, because every single pass required an extra touch to get it under control. Because you don't know where it's going to bounce. Sometimes you can control it as normal. Sometimes it'll bounce up towards your knee, and that just slows everything down. Um, 
So I don't think, I don't like blowing the pitch because you say, oh, it's the same for both teams, but it doesn't mean it's not shit. Um, but to, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I kind of think that maybe would we have attacked a little bit more in the first half or for the next 89 minutes, really? Would we have attacked a bit more and tried to be really kind of more front? But if we hadn't got the first goal uh, so early, I think so. I don't think it would have been free flowing at any point. I don't think the, the environment allowed that at all. To be honest, and also the team selection allowed for that at all. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, once you get that goal a minute into the game, not that you want to be completely negative for 90 minutes, but there's no need to take unnecessary risks. Yeah. You're more than happy to then play on the break a bit more. Um, and I thought we we did, but let's be honest, not a huge amount really happened in, in the first half up until... Um, yeah, the half-time whistle. There was a penalty show up for Rico Hackett, which I think, looking back, probably was a penalty. Um, and then there was a, a long-range effort from um, from Port Vale, which drew a, a decent save from Jensen, but a, a good save, but a save I'd expect him to make from distance. Yeah. yeah, and that was that was it. But I think that's kind of credit to us because we we limited, let's be honest, a really poor Port Vale team, but we limited them to almost nothing at all in the yeah. first half. And we... I felt really comfortable at halftime that it was going to go ahead and win the game. I felt at halftime we'd win it 2 0. And um, it, the goal came much later than I thought it might do, that second one. Um, and actually, Port Vale probably yeah, had a bit more pressure than uh, honours than I expected them to in the second half. But ultimately, it felt like a reasonably comfortable game overall. Shouldn't have been. You look at their lineup, shouldn't have been a comfortable game. It's Jensen Weir, Ben Garrity, um, Ethan Chislett, Funso Ojo who I think was at Aberdeen, really like him. Jess Deborah, who was the player I think we were linked with. It's a decent side. It's a decent mm. side. And your point, I mean, we don't we don't talk, we're not an opposition podcast, we don't talk about it. But they're their own worst enemies if they're going out on that pitch and they are then trying because they've got decent football players there. This isn't as they're not a Stevenage or a Gillingham that can make a crap pitch work because it hinders the opponent, but it doesn't bother them because the ball's in the air. They're not going to go eight long to James Wilson. He's not a target man. Um, you know, he's a goal scorer. He gets in behind. You put the, for me, uh, I'd be really concerned if I was a Port Vale fan. And I know there are only three points outside, but Darren Moore's come in. There hasn't been a new manager bounce. You just said it's his first game at home, and and within two minutes you've got a centre back playing the ball across to Taylor. And I know we've covered the goal. If our centre back does that, he deserves to be taken off at that stage in a in a in a game where you need points. It wasn't a mid-table dead rubber. He's seen Taylor come past. Do you know what I mean? He, he stood looking at him. And like you said, yeah, OK, they might be angry saying he's not 10 yards, but they've taken the free kick. He, he hasn't taken the free kick with an intention of kicking it against Taylor. To why, get why take that risk in what? the first minute of the game? Yeah, it's like I say, we're not a Port Vale podcast, but it's just baffling because, it's stupid. you know, they're down there. They're down there. They're in a real fight. There's teams down there that are picking up points now that are likely to get, likely to get themselves out of it. Charlton, I think, are going to improve. Um, but they're one that's still definitely part of it at the moment. Cheltenham, of course, are, 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 are picking up points much more than than Vale are. And obviously, we, we're the benefactor of that kind of good fortune there. But, you know, you're coming in to try and play a style of football which that pitch isn't conducive of. And this is a sort of... No, this is a, the time of the season if you're a Port Vale fan. We don't care how you play. It's about results. It's about it's being risk-averse. Yeah, yeah, he's been there his whole career, hasn't he, Nathan Smith? Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just, yeah, I know it's, you know, we're talking about one moment and it's a lapse of concentration, yeah. a bad decision in the moment, but you just kind of think, from a Port Vale perspective, you want to keep 
if fans on side, you go, you want to try and give an element of that new manager bounce. You know, that very first game, you always get behind the new manager, no matter how bad a run you've been on. It's a, it's, it feels like a, a bit of a, fresh, a breath of fresh air, doesn't it? And then within a minute, that's all gone. And it, I don't know how it sounded in, in the ground to you, but it, it sounded like a very quiet Vale Park for the next 90 minutes, to be honest. Yeah, it was the all the atmosphere seemed to be coming from us. That bit I can remember. Um, hmm. <laughs> so that's good. I, I, I know that you're always seeing that, you know, football in the library or wherever it goes. Um, and there was an element of that. There was It didn't feel like, like there was any um, belief around the ground at all. Uh, there was a few boos ringing out at times and you know we will we'll, we'll probably fast forward to the penalty at the end but there's boos ringing out and those boos aren't ringing out for the referee um they're ringing out for for port vale and a, a talented bunch of players but that, for me they're going down um i mean like you said nothing really happened between the second minute and the 90 minute 90 minute mark not really i mean their keeper did their best to give ted bishop a goal which I do remember seeing, and then obviously a good header over from Pordy. But we offered very, very little. We actually looked like a team that have got a couple of injuries. And I don't know whether it's... I don't think it's something to be concerned about because I think you can take different things into account. You're winning 1-0, it's a crap pitch. The opposition are offering nothing. And they didn't. They, they, they were comfortably one of the worst sides that I've seen this season. OK, people will go, well, we should be putting them to the sword then. But why? You take your three points and you move on. Um, and then it comes in. I, you're happy for me to just go straight on to the penalty because we're only 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah there's, there's not a huge, there's not a huge amount discussed. There was only really <laughs> one moment of quality in the whole game, which didn't lead to a goal. It was just before the half time. It's only time we really played any, either team, really put um, a kind of a meaningful spell of possession together. And it was... A real nice move for us. Um, so we kind of, I think we had started our attack down the right, um, brought it back to the centre backs, which, which you do a lot, by the way. And it's it's by design. I'd just like to put that out. It's by design. And then we slow the tempo of the game down. And it's so frustrating. And this isn't a moan, by the way. It's just, just, and it's not just the Lincoln fans. It's football fans in general. So frustrating when people go, "Oh, get it bloody forward, speed it up." Like, yeah, they will. And it was, and it was also. I think Mark Home mentioned it because he criticised the move halfway through it and then praised it for the last half. Oh, see, that's what happens when you move the ball quickly. So what we did is we moved it back into centre half, rotated around our back three, and with Arahan dropping in, rotating, but really kind of slow, quite slow possession. Centre halves literally putting their foot on the ball and and stopping play. But the idea behind that is to entice the opposition to come and press you. When you do a gap appears and then you can go pass, 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 pass when there's space to play into. So we only were able to play the ball quickly because we went slowly first. And it, you know, it wasn't a game where that sort of thing happened a lot. Oh my, it's just a pet hate of mine. It's just a pet hate of mine where people go, oh, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. Bloody hell, it's so annoying. And then hot 30 seconds later, I see that's what happens when you speed it up, but you can't have done that unless you enticed the press in the first place. Like those two <laughs> things are inherently linked together. Oh, he's so frustrating. <laughs> He's wearing a red shirt and his face is redder than his shirt. He's getting so angry. Yeah. He's going to see, I can see um, him in a minute just doing the whole match in the city. Much. <laughs> that was pretty much the only piece of high quality on the deck football played by either team um, at any point during the 90 minutes. I think at half time for us, it was a case of, right, let's just play on the break now. And we did. We never really strung passes together like that at any point, but neither did Vale. Um, it, it all became quite desperate for them, didn't it, in the second half? And yeah, there was a good, a good, a good save from Jensen. Actually, I think I make a point, which was a little bit of spell of pressure. Um, we a bit of fortune as well from Vale perspective, because I think it was O'Connor. I might be wrong. Um, whoever it was, um, 
good connection to clear the ball, but cleared it against um, James Wilson. But then Jensen came out and smelled it really, really well, made a really good save on a one-on-one. But that was literally the only real meaningful chance that Port Vale had. And it wasn't something they really created. It just came from a, a little bit of pressure, a slightly um, fortunate or unfortunate clearance, depending on which side you're on, and a good save from Jensen. And then really very little until, yeah, you said, Ted Bishop had a good opportunity from a gift from the keeper and then a penalty in the last minute. It wasn't a game that really had a huge amount of talking points. Um, I think what it does give us the opportunity to discuss, though, is the bigger picture a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I just look at it, I think it was Mitchell that played the ball into uh, for Wilson. Mm. Um, but you said there that they, uh, I mean, they never really came into it, did they? You said it was desperate or, or, or whatever, but the, you never felt that they were going to score. No. It was just nothing. It was just bland. I mean, I, I said something the other day about it being something being the football equivalent of Magnolia, or I think I did it in the Port Vale Sentinel, actually, that our football had been the equivalent of Magnolia. And theirs was as well. Now, for the penalty, yeah, that was at my end. And I can remember it as well. So we'll talk about that for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think, looking at it, it was a penalty at the time. Um, and I don't know if that's because I was trying so desperately hard to be objective uh, that I became the other way because I've watched it back and it's a penalty. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. What I will say is Dylan Duffy has done what I want to see a player do in that situation. He's tried to stay on his feet the whole time and has then got the penalty as well. So actually, for me, it was the perfect moment for the referee. And we, we, we haven't been talking about the referee because you know, he was incidental in the game. He was just there managing the game. He got nothing. There wasn't any big calls to make, really, but he got nothing particularly wrong. But for me, that was a great example of good refereeing. Because Duffy's being fouled and sometimes goes, oh, well, he didn't go down. But he did. the more that that happens, that if players are fouled, it's given. I know he went down at the end of the move, but the ref was looking. He was going to give it anyway. Um, interesting, I think, that Ted wanted the penalty as well, didn't he? And Rico wasn't letting him out any of it. I thought that was I didn't really notice that, actually, yeah. on the on the, on the iFollow at all. I just I just saw that Rico took it and scored it. Um, I sort of read that in your, in your write-up, but I completely missed that yesterday. Um, didn't seem to be any... Blood after the game racing, everyone oh, seems to be quite unified when it went in, didn't they? Do you know what? I've actually said that now, and it's just people told me about it, and I've kind of got it in my head that that's how it was, and I'm not sure if that's how it was. Um, Ted's moving away because I actually filmed it on my phone like a proper knobhead. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think there was maybe Ted had gone up to him, and, and I, but it wasn't a kind of a arguing or rock paper scissors or anything like that. I think yeah, but it was nice. The penalties are spread around. Uh, we know Rico can take one, Ted can take one, Danny Mandroyu can take one. And a penalty 0.74 XG. Our XG for the entire game was 1.18. So actually, up until that point, our XG had been low, low. Yeah, low, it, it, low, it's low. been the lowest um, attacking metrics that we've had for quite some time, actually. But like you say, scoring a goal in the first minute does change your game plan a little bit, certainly for us when we're so confident defensively. Um, so I'm not here to kind of be super rose tinted and kind of defend it because you know I think we were critical under Mark Kennedy at times. We defended it at times as well. Um, I just think, yeah, it was one, it was just one of those days where we weren't brilliant. They were crap. Um, we did enough to win the game, and let's move on. Take the three points onwards. And it's isn't it a pleasure to be able to talk like that? In you know, not a lot happened. It wasn't the most entertaining game, but we still got the win despite not being on playing a hundred percent. 
Whereas earlier in the season, we were playing reasonably well. All the amount of times I said, oh, we're pretty good in the first two thirds of the pitch, but we're not getting on the right side of results. And it's just, I prefer this. <laughs> just say, yeah, I much yeah. prefer this. Yeah, I do as well. Now, it was interesting because getting on the bus yesterday morning, one of the first people that we saw was Jack, friend of the podcast, um, who was talking about the article that I did around the playoffs. Now, we spoke about it last week. And somebody, uh, I think it was one of the Patreons, messaged and just said, I've spent 10, 15 minutes. I absolutely love listening to you two desperately trying to justify the fact that we can get into the playoffs, um, which I, I, I kind of, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. I understand it. We're football. We're Lincoln City fans. We still think it's possible. We were saying it a little bit tongue in cheek, I think, at the time last week. Last and, week, and definitely. Probably... Yeah, definitely was last week saying it tongue in cheek. I'll be oh. honest, slightly less tongue in cheek now. For those who don't read my match reports, just some stats, because we love a stat. Oh, yeah. 2nd of February, Lincoln City, 35 points. Oxford United in the last playoff place, 50 points. That's a 15-point gap on the 2nd of February. Valentine's Day, just because it's a good day to pick. Lincoln, 42 points. Oxford, 55. So it's still 13-point gap. We're now on the 25th of February. Um, Lincoln City, 48 points. Oxford United, 57. It's down to nine points. They don't play Tuesday night. We do, potentially. We've got a, we've got a game in hand over them. Yep, potentially six points without the game in hand. Next week, they go to Portsmouth and we have Stevenage at home and we have to play Oxford. Is it fair to say, and it sounds silly, but it's actually in our own hands, isn't it? When you yeah. look at it like that. It's it's mad. Because I, I put it on, on Twitter yesterday. Um, again, a little bit tongue-in-cheek until I looked into other fixtures as well. It wasn't just, oh, look, we're nine points off. That's it. It's like, well, we're nine points yeah. off. We've got a genuinely winnable game again on Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, Oxford aren't playing. They've played a game ahead of us already. We're catching up yeah. on Tuesday to, to play, get the same amount of games played as them. Also, the team that are in eighth and ninth ahead of us play each other on Tuesday yeah. night. We've then got the team in seventh, Stevenage, yeah. at home on Saturday. So, like, oh my God, like this time next week, again, stars have to align here, don't they? And as soon as we do drop any points, it's not game over, but I think it's, it, it's less exciting. I think at the moment we're thinking, well, oh, bloody hell, if, 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 it's a big if, but if we do win on Tuesday and we win on Saturday, which we can. There's no denying that we can. We're, we're right in. We're right in, right in the it. conversation, and that just feels, frankly, ridiculous to kind of say it with any ounce of kind of seriousness. But that's how it feels. And you know, I'm. I'm you know what? I'm. I'm happy to be like the typical football fan, rose tinted glasses, and get and get kind of swept along for the ride. I'm going to believe. I'm going to choose to believe. But I think that what's in, important here is that if we do get there, and again, it's still a big if, but if we do, that's, it's a miracle, let's be honest, and Michael Scubala will go down as a hero already. But there's zero pressure for us to actually go ahead and do it. There are other clubs up there that it's kind of more expected, and they've been in and around it for longer. So even if we don't make it, we give it a really good go. What a brilliant kind of positivity, to, what brilliant positivity that you can lead into pre-season with. Yeah. I think Stevenage are probably the ones for me that look like the favourites to get in there because I think they're one point behind Oxford. They've got two games in hand. 
Um, they've got some winnable games, but Stevenage play Leighton Orient on the 16th of March. They're away at Peterborough on the 13th of March. They're at home to Bolton on the 29th of March. They've got Barnsley to play 20th of April, Oxford, Stevenage, one game before the end of the season. I mean, honestly, it may be doable. And let me put it another way. A team, I did while I was doing my research, there was a team in 2011 that needed to close an 11-point gap in 11 games. So they needed to close a bigger gap than we've got on the playoffs now uh, in one game fewer. And that team was Barnet. And they were second from bottom and they closed that 11 point gap on Lincoln City and we were relegated out of the Football League. So it would be nice to be able to put that to bed by saying we've performed our own um, massive, huge overhaul. Um, I think we'll put the playoffs to bed. I think we'll take a very brief break, but we're going to break from tradition, I think, when we come back, because we are going to talk about League Two. Uh, and a little chat, a little something that came up yesterday um, about rivals. But first of all, we shall go to uh, a potential commercial break or just a player telling you what you're listening to. I'm Ben House and you're listening to the Stacey West Podcast. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Brilliant. Great. Smashing. Super. Jim Bowen. Lovely. In one. And we're back. Um, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm sleep. Chris is looking at me. I'm like, I'm, I'm sleep deprived. Oh, and Bully's special prize is... A chat about Grimsby Town going down. Now, <laughs> yesterday I was having this conversation on the bus. I, I think maybe maybe I dreamt it. About rivals. Now, when you look at the League Two table at the moment, um, you've got Mansfield Town look like they're potentially coming up. Uh, you've got Grimsby who are absolutely capitulating uh, and look like they potentially could be going down. Forest Green are the ones that are looking to try and catch them. So Grimsby took David Artell on, who I think is a decent manager, did a good job at Crewe, but he's a long-term manager, not a short-term manager. Uh, Forest Green took on Steve Cottrell, who I think is a short-term manager, not a long-term manager. Forest Green have played one game more than Grimsby at the bottom of the table there, but they are four points behind. But the two teams play each other on Saturday. A win for Forest Green in that game would leave it one point. Uh, albeit with a game uh, a game still behind. 
After that, Grimsby have got Sutton, who are bottom. They've then got MK Dons, Gillingham, Wrexham, Barrow and Bradford, who are all technically in the promotion picture. But then everyone's in the bloody promotion picture down to 16th. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant division this year, League Two. 46 points, Newport in 16th, and Gillingham are, uh, are 7th on 51. So there's five points. Um, that's, that's unbelievable. Chris, you said that off-air you would wait and surprise me when I ask you this question, and I might surprise some people when I answer it as well. If you were given a choice, and you can't see Grimsby on Forest Green because Sutton are seven points adrift, they've gone, basically. Forest Green or Grimsby, which one would you like to see relegated to the National League? Forest Green. Interesting. Now, would you like to I know why? Yeah, go on. Yeah, why? Because they're not a proper football club. And Ooh. also, I would much prefer Grimsby Town to be struggling, perennially struggling in League Two, than having a nice, enjoyable season in the National League and getting the celebration of a promotion. I... If they could be permanently 22nd in League Two, I think that's that's ideal. When there's the option for a football club who is not a proper football club that does not deserve to be in the Football League, like Forest Green. You know my feelings of Forest Green. Severe dislike. Um, and it brings me no more... I, I think, yeah, I genuinely dislike Forest Green more than I dislike Grimsby Town. And I like this, I dislike Grimsby Town quite a lot. Um, but I still respect Grimsby Town. I don't respect Forest Green at all. Um, apart from their original supporters who have been there from day dot when they used to play in black and white still um, what Forest Green are now and it's nothing to do with the vegan side of things by the way I am more than uh, happy for them to, to go along with that it is the the sham of the um, little club on the hill we all know the rival we have with them in the National League a little bit and, and to an extent in League 2 I think that lingers in my mind a little bit and I have to admit I was delighted to see them struggle this season in League Two. Absolutely delighted. And I would love nothing more for them to go back down to the National League. So, yeah, that's my opinion. Now, I can't remember what I said to the person on the bus yesterday. I'm pretty sure I plumped for Grimsby. And there's a reason for it. I hate Forest Green. Like you, I hate Forest Green more than I hate Grimsby. They're not a proper football club, in my opinion. They've been overly inflated up there. I've got no problem with the veganism. I know people take the piss out of that all the time. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. Um, I'd actually, I'm actually quite partial to a veggie burger myself. We have the Linda McCartney ones here, the mozzarella burgers. Have you had those? Oh, I have not. Full of, full of fat, but they're smashing. I like those a lot. Um, I've got no problem with that. Everyone knows why I hate Forest Green. I'm, I'm beginning. Oh, God. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm beginning to warm a little to Dale Vince. Oh, yeah, that's the problem, because I agree. Outside of football, I agree with him on a lot. That's exactly um, it. <laughs> but he's a hypocrite when it comes to his football club. Yes, he is. I, you know, I was thinking about why. I don't. I was thinking on the way home from Matt's this morning, um, I was thinking about this conversation and, and us having this conversation on the podcast. It was always in my mind that it, I kind of I wanted to bring this up. Um, and I was thinking, Joe... Dale Vince, the man, I can identify with. Mm-hmm. I like his dedication to the Sea Shepherds and uh, obviously uh, Captain Paul Watson and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've got no problem with the veganism. I've got no problem with the sustainability. 
I've got no problem with him as a whole until you put him as a football chairman. And then I kind of, you know, because people say, oh, look at him. He's a scruffy get. He's this and he's that. I don't care about that at all. If he wants to live an alternative lifestyle, he's a little bit like a, you know, that thing they used to call Billy Bragger champagne socialist. It feels a little bit like that because, you you know, he still drives his big cars and he's, all that. I, I, I get him, but I despise the club. Now, why, therefore, would I want Grimsby to go down more than Forest Green? Because if Forest Green got promoted next season, um, and we got relegated next season. Worst case, absolute worst case scenario, not going to happen. It would have no consequence whatsoever that we weren't in the same division as Forest Green. It wouldn't bother me that they were a League One side and we were a League Two side. Um, I just don't like them, but I don't care about them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. If we were to come down next season and Grimsby were to survive this season and then go up and they were League One and we were League Two, I would hate that. So in my mind, wanting Grimsby to go down is a buffer. If they're National League and we're League One, first of all, we're Lincolnshire's only senior EFL club, which brilliant. I'll buy, yeah, I love that. Not just the pride of Lincolnshire, but the only the only EFL football club, football club in Lincolnshire. Um, but it's the buffer. It's that two divisions. If we have our worst season and they have their best season next year, then we could still only be in the same division. And that's why I wanted Scunthorpe to go down, but I didn't want them to drop out of the National League. If we went up to the Championship, I'd be happy with Grimsby being strugglers in League Two. But the the bigger gap between us, um, the less likely it is that we're going to have to stand toe-to-toe to them as equals, which we're not, we're better. Uh, and so I want that to always be the case. So that's my argument. That's a really, That's a really good argument. I haven't even considered it in that way to be honest that's quite convincing i have to say um you know for the majority of my my life to be honest Grimsby town have always been bigger than us yeah yeah it's, and not obviously in recent history but for the majority of my lifetime um so it is a real pleasure for that to be on its head so yeah of course any buffer any buffer there that that, that kind of preserves that i think that's a really good Absolutely. point oh i'm you look changing i'm you? reluctant to change my mind but I very much understand and respect your opinion. I, tell you um, what we, do you know what we I, should do then? I just really dislike Forest Green more than I dislike Grimsby. So, and I think I have faith that we're not going to get relegated anytime soon. Certainly not, not in the next point. couple of years. Um, I, but your point but you make it. is valid. But yeah, you're it. asking right now, who would I rather go down out of that? those two options? It would be Forest Green. Now, but just to clarify, I would obviously prefer Grimsby and Forest Green to get relegated and, and certain to somehow survive. They're not going to, I don't think. I think they're Forest Green are more likely to pull out of it than, than them. Um, but yeah, that's we, we disagree on something. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have, I think. And it, it kind of plays into that local rivals thing as well, because Again, a conversation around the bus was like, oh, look, who might who might come up? You know, Notts County are up there. I mean, technically they're 13th, but they're, they're still only like four points outside the playoffs. Mm. So I'd play Notts County and Mansfield, and I don't feel the same as I do to Grim towards Grimsby. And yeah, but for those for those teams, it's it's they're not massive rivals i wouldn't say there's an element of locality there which creates a good atmosphere because it gets it gets it's a it's a it's a accessible away day for us and you get a big away crowd which creates a better atmosphere it's just a bigger and a better game isn't it when you play those teams but it's not it's not a rivalry in my opinion um but i yeah i'm actually would be quite excited about those teams coming up um and again providing that we still do better than them 
<laughs> there's no denying that that's the case. But, you know, I think to be able to go to have more local away games, bigger away followings. I think we've, we've suffered a little bit this season in terms of home attendance um, a little bit, primarily because there's been quite a few teams that haven't brought that many big away followings compared to what we had last season. Um, so the more of that is better for the football club as well. But with Grimsby, it is, it is different. There's no denying that. that, that it's, yeah, it's only really them for me. It feels like a genuine rival. And you know what? To an extent, probably just because they're in our league at the moment and they are just that little bit um, ahead of us, I would say, is, is Peterborough. Peterborough, in my mind, have elevated themselves to a bit of a genuine rival. Um, I just find them really irritating. Do you find that they've only elevated themselves to be a bit of a rival because we're in the same division as them? And that actually, yeah, if Peterborough were championship, when they were championship, I didn't... I didn't care about them. Um, and, and if Mansfield come up, then they like like when we won the title, you know, they were the big rival that season, as much as Grimsby. I seem to think that we played the two of them. We drew with Mansfield. close to each other, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, okay, Steve Evans kind of made that as well. And it's the same with Notts County. They're a rival when they're in the same division, but not when they're not, if that makes sense. Whereas Grimsby are always a rival. The funny thing is you go to Grimsby, they say Scunthorpe are their rivals. You go to Notts County, Mansfield, Chesterfield, they're in that kind of corridor. You, know, you go to Boston, they don't really, well, they're, they're nobody's rivals at the minute, are they? Are they Kings Lynn, maybe, or, or mm-hmm. some other um, pub team. But uh, yeah, it's um, actually that's, that's awful. It's not pub team, it's a decent. No, it's all right. I don't particularly like um, Kings Lynn, so carry on. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not, I, I don't criticize National League North. That's really arrogant. That's the sort of thing that Premier League fans do to League Two fans when they go, oh, Accrington are a pub team. So that's, mm-hmm. That's really irresponsible of me, um, but yeah. Anyway, so it's in, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting who your rivals are, and and to finish that, I always remember the six one seven banner, forever in our shadow, or something along those lines. When we were in the ascendancy, and I remember looking at that, thinking, I hope that doesn't come back to bite us in the next year or two. And here we are, I think six years on now, because I think that was twenty eighteen nineteen. So five, six seasons on, um, it isn't doing. And if they're playing against Dorking and uh, Tamworth next year, it won't be any time after that as well. So up the imps kind of thing. Right. Let's move on to another bit of news that emanated out of the football club this week that has got um, people sharing a mirror article uh, of all things. And that is the golden share. Now, it's been a little bit controversial. Um, there's been some discussion, I think, on the internet about the golden share. It is, in my opinion, something um, that feels quite important. Um, so we are one of now only three clubs, the other two being Brentford and Stevenage, that have created the golden share. I think it's something that's going to become more regular, uh, more apparent with um, the slow but definite reformation of football. Would that be fair? Or the, um, you know, the, 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 can't really think of the words to, to describe there, but the, the, not the cleanup of football, but with the the whole fan led um, review, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so just to clarify for people, because they may have missed our, I think you and Charlie chatted a little bit about this on the live podcast that we did on deadline day. Um, so just really to touch on what the golden share is, uh, just so that people are a little bit more aware. Uh, firstly, it's superbly positive news. It's um did stem out from the 
brilliant Tracy Crouch fan-led review that was done um, post-COVID with the idea of trying to improve football and protect the long-term sustainability of football. Um, now, the kind of when it got to white paper and and, and it's like you say, it's very slowly starting to become implemented. Um, it got watered down a little bit, um, but at Lincoln City, we decided that we wanted to be as, as positive as possible, be a bit of a shining light, and ultimately to give the fans as much of a, a say as, as they can. And, and there's not many football clubs in in this country who prioritise fan engagement as as, as Lincoln City do, they really aren't. And this is a really, really good way of protecting the long-term interests of the club from a heritage perspective. Um, so the idea behind the Golden Share, which we've named the Fans Share, which is going to be held by the Redimps Community Trust as a separate entity to the club. Uh, the idea behind this is it is a, a particular share which has kind of special powers, really. So I think we all know that and we all trust that the, the people that are currently in charge of running this football club are brilliant at what they do, um, really have the best interests of the football club at heart. I don't think there's any issues in the short-term future. But the idea behind the Golden Share is to protect the, the long-term future of the football club from a heritage perspective. The idea being um, anything that really defines Lincoln City as what we are, um, are part of this Golden Share. So it avoids things like a a new board taking over in 10 years' time and wanting to rename the Stacey West End for sponsorship reasons. It prevents them from moving the football club out of Lincoln, for example, prevents them from changing the colour of the shirt, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that really would define us as being Lincoln City and really important to our heritage. Just to clarify, it would prevent them from doing it if the Redims Community Trust disagreed with it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea would be is... The board can't just do it. As much as at the moment, as in the current structure of the football club, um, things like the fan advisory board are consulted. There is very much a consultation process in terms of these decisions. Fans are very much part of it. There's loads of there's always loads of um, kind of questionnaires and, and polls going out to us, aren't there, about various things. You know, we only have to go back recently to, to look at the influence the uh, we had on picking the new badge that's going to be in for next season. You know, that's not required. You know, so many clubs would just do it without any consultation at all. So I think we sometimes take a little bit for granted the access and the influence we have right now. And I think it's worth bearing in mind that can be taken away um, at a moment's notice if we did get a new board that, you know, didn't didn't have the same kind of priorities, I suppose, as, as this, this board does. And what would happen in the future if the board come along and say, right, we're going to play in green now, um, that the Reddings Community Trust can basically say, no, we're not, basically. And, and Sorry, so... But when you say the Red Imps Community Trust say that, that isn't just saying one person from the Red Imps Community Trust, is it? That would be a, a wider discussion with everybody who's a member of the trust. That's absolutely right, yeah. And um, if you're unaware, every person that has a season ticket is automatically a member of the, the trust. So if you have a season ticket, so that's like around 6,000 or so people as it currently stands, then um, that's the bare minimum um, of it who would have a say in that. And I think let's go, let's be honest, if, if a board came in and said, right, we're going to play in green from now on, every single one of that, those 6,000 season ticket holders and members of the trust would say, uh, no, we're not. And ultimately that would mean that when Cardiff changed from blue to red, um, if they had this situation, this set up in place at that time, quite simply, the fans would have a bigger voice and it wouldn't have happened. And we've only got to see that 
the power that fans have and you've seen the recently what's happened in germany um you know there's a real unification of fans across multiple clubs it's not just like one one club it's, it's they they really are quite organized between them and they've just basically fought against a um a deal which i think was the idea behind it was 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 the German equivalent of the FA, we're trying to get external investment in, similar to how Barcelona have, kind of get a big influx of cash now, selling future rights on various things, and basically fan power won. There was loads of demonstrations, loads of protests against it, and they finally backed down. It just shows the power that fans can have. I think Germany is a shining light in that regard, and this just gives us um, an element of more control, uh, gives the fans more ownership of their football club. Um, so... For me, it, it's only positive. I, I was quite confused and, 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 and a little bit disappointed to see any negative coming out of this and any kind of um, maybe reluctance to kind of see the positives of this. It, it just it just seems a little bit strange. I think sometimes it, it's not about where we are now. It's about protecting the future. And you know, we're, we're quite lucky in terms of how the club is run at the moment. But there's no guarantee that that's how it's going to continue. And this just gives us a little bit more influence and, and say and protection over that. So it's only a good thing from my perspective. Yep. So I think before we move on, I'm going to I keep breaking convention today and I'm going to do something that really pains me because I'm going to quote directly from a red top. Not the scum, obviously, um, but the mirror, which is nearly as bad as the scum, but not quite. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like having two people defecate on your carpet and, you know, one of them's a little bit messier than the other. You don't really want it in your house. but um, And it's Dan Marsh, senior sports reporter from the Mirror. He has written this, and it just really resonated with me because bear in mind this is a national. Given Lincoln City are one of the football league's most enterprising clubs, it should come as no surprise to see them breaking new ground this week. He then goes on to talk about the upward trajectory since returning to the EFL, but he's also put, crucially, their ascent on the pitch has been matched by their diligent work off it. Lincoln are a club which strives to do things the right way and have now become just the third team in England to implement the golden share. And I just think that sort of recognition, you know, whatever your thoughts, there are people who have got, you know, personal axes to grind with individuals at the club, which sometimes I, I, I don't know what why often those reasons are personal. That's fine. You don't have to like everybody. Uh, but I do respect the way that the club's moving forward. Um, and I do think... You know, this the, the golden share whilst it doesn't feel like it's something that we've ever needed no really because we've never been had someone come in and want to change our kit or want to change our ground or want to change our badge but similarly we've never actually had the rogue owner which it seems like 90 percent of the rest of the football league have at some point endured um shrewsbury town fans dare I say, are enduring Paul Hurst once again. And that sounds really, really harsh, but we've talked about Grimsby. Paul Hurst was dismissed from Grimsby uh, this season for being a, a significant part of their um, their collapse, their fall towards the bottom of League Two. Um, but he's got another job. He's got that job at Shrewsbury Town. They are coming to Sinsel Bank on Tuesday night for, I seem to believe it was a rearranged fixture. FA Cup weekend, wasn't it? It was the FA Cup mm -hmm. rearranged fixture. So we could have played this game, minus Ben House, Rico Hackett, potentially Joe Taylor. Um, I think Joe Taylor signed after the FA Cup weekend as well. Freddie Draper. Instead, we're playing it with a full complement, which does feel like a real bonus. Now, Shrewsbury are a side who traditionally have been very tough for us to play against. I think the season that we, we finished in the playoffs, I seem to remember them beating us 1-0 at our place. 
I remember one of the most boring games I've ever seen where Keon Bolger was sent off and I think we drew nil-nil against them. They've been spoilers in their time. They've been pretty dour in their time. They've just been strong and organised. This season, they are not doing particularly well. They have got two wins since New Year's Day. Um, they are low scorers. I think they've scored 26 goals this season. And unbelievably, 23% of their goals have come against Reading. Um, they beat Reading this weekend 3-2. They scored twice in the first five minutes, uh, which is, again, particularly unusual uh, for Shrewsbury. And when they beat Reading 3-2 earlier in the season, they scored twice in the last minute, twice in the 90th minute to win um, 3-2. They're a side that you may feel are relegation threatened. They are currently uh, one place or two places rather above the relegation zone, albeit five points clear of Cheltenham. Um, but Cheltenham have got two games in hand. So it is, it's still a little bit tight down there for them. Um, we are talking to Ollie from Salopcast, but that's the Royal We, not the Chris and I. Charlie will be doing it uh, and he won't have that preview ready for this podcast. So you can get that on YouTube. So instead, you're going to have to listen to the dulcet tones of Mr. Lamming telling you, and I'm going to put this very succinctly, why he thinks Shrewsbury are, um, dare I say shit, but why, why, why we should really win the game on Tuesday night. Yeah, I think the second part of that is the most important, is that why we should be going into this confident that we can win this, rather than saying that why Shrewsbury are particularly yeah. poor. Um, so that, in terms of points returns, since Hurst has come in, they've actually picked up a decent number of points. Like you said, they've uh, two wins, two losses, two draws in the six games that he's been in charge so far, um, which is, of course, eight points from six games. They've only got three points from the previous seven games, winning one, but and that against a Dow of Fleetwood at the time, losing every one of the other six. Um, there's been a big change in their system. They've gone from being a, a back three side for the whole season up until Hurst has come into a back four side. Um, the structure ahead of that is always interest. Is, is always a little bit less important in my opinion. But you know, whether you're defending with three centre backs or two, is is quite a big shift in regard to how the rest of that that sets. Um, so there's been a, there's been a definite improvement under Paul Hurst in regards to results. There has been an improvement in regards to goal scoring, even if. Maybe chance creation hasn't been significantly improved. You mentioned they're not the best scorers in the league. They're actually quite low in regards to um, goals scored. I think they might be the lowest this season. In uh, Yeah, 24th for goals, um, 22nd for XG. So, yeah, goal scoring is a real challenge for them. So there are some, of course there are, underlying numbers that I'm going to share with you all. Um, of course. Sometimes, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> now, sometimes when there's a new manager coming in, you can sometimes think, particularly after January, you can sign and think, ah, well, maybe it's kind of a new team now, so the, these numbers are less important now. So, for example, outs are probably much less important um, looking at when you're analysing the whole season because how we play under Michael Skewbarder is now significantly different to how it was under Mark Kennedy. And the underlying numbers from that point are very, very different than the average. Um, but for Shrewsbury, there's been a, they've had a very inactive January, to be honest. Um, only brought in uh, a couple of players, recalled one from loan. Tom Bloxham came in back off loan from Morecambe. He's been back into the side. Um, they signed a Dowu from Waterford, a central midfielder, and Jack Hinchy came in on loan from Brighton. And that's it in January. So they're quite a quiet January. Um, and of course, they didn't sign a striker. Uh, they actually loaned a striker out. Max Matter, who they signed from Ireland, has gone back on loan uh, to Ireland after not really uh, hitting the ground running here at all. So I think actually, in terms of 
well, what do these numbers tell us? You can read a little bit into this because it's pretty much the same squad. Now, there are a couple of notable changes since Paul Hurst has come in, and that's, I would argue, Shrewsbury's two of their better players and probably two genuinely good players for League One in um, Jordan Shipley and Tom Bayliss. I think they're two really good players. Um, Jordan Shipley was playing left wing back in a five, um, but he's now playing left wing in a in a 4-2-3-1. He's much more higher up the pitch and Tom Bayliss is playing in the number 10 role rather than a deep line playmaker role. So they're two most creative players and now playing higher up the pitch, which I think has definitely improved them to an extent. But... Shrewsbury Town are 24th for goals scored in the league, 22nd for XG. Um, they're actually 16th for goals against, but 22nd for XG against. So in my head, I had them as almost a slightly worse version than us in regards to reasonably solid defensively, not the best going forward, but actually they're pretty, they're pretty poor defensively as well in terms of the underlying numbers, which surprised me. Um, they've got the 21st most, so the what third lowest, fourth lowest, um, shots per 90, but this is a really interesting stat. 54% of their shots, and bear in mind they're only taking um, just under nine shots a game, 54% of them are headers, which means they're only averaging 4.6 shots a game with their feet. Now, um, our defensive dual success is third in the league. So you'd like to think that that kind of nullifies their aerial threat already, the fact that we're we're pretty good at that which means I just don't feel like they're going to threaten us too much. They, they, they scored three goals against Reading on Saturday with a XG of 0 0.44. You know, two long-range goals and um, one probably does it, probably where almost all the XG came from was the goal they, they scored from about eight yards out. Um, so from a attacking perspective, I just don't feel particularly threatened by Shrewsbury Town. Um, Despite their recent results, obviously on the back of a good win against Reading in terms of result, in terms of performance, not so much. Um, now, we kind of defended our performance against Port Vale, though. You know, we won. We was a goal up early doors, so we didn't have to attack too much. Obviously, Shrewsbury scored a couple of early goals against Reading, so you'd maybe think they didn't push forward as much as they had in previous games. So there's maybe a little bit of game state there. It's just that I just, I just feel quite comfortable here in regards to keeping them out. And I'm certainly a lot more... Um, confident than I have been a month ago about us going down the other end and, and, and scoring goals. And potentially Ben House is back in the team again, hopefully, if he gets over his illness. I know it's a quick turnaround for him after a bit of a late dropout. But in terms of the underlying numbers, I just don't feel massively threatened by Shrewsbury, um, despite their recent upturn in, in, in points tally. So I'm pretty confident, to be honest. I had a Tex-Mex subway earlier and having stayed at Matt's, I didn't have my Miprazole in the morning. It gave me heartburn. Um, watching Shrewsbury Town play against Lincoln over the last four years has always given me heartburn because it's been borderline excruciating um, because they have been effective at what they do, but now are functional, but without being exciting. Uh, I think Paul Hurst is trying to instill that in them once again after what's really been a failed experiment with, with Matt Taylor. Um, and where they've been bad, but they've not been organised. I think it's the numbers that we've spoken about or that you've spoken about there, bear relevance, but they also bear relevance 
to the previous regime. And, you know, it's almost like with Darren Moore as well. When you go into a game where there's a manager that's been in for three games, five games, six, whatever, it's hard to be judged on the numbers all the way through. I think we'd agree on that. Like if anyone looks at our numbers and they'll go, well, we're, we've been bad at defending corners. Well, have we? Or were we just bad at defending corners under Mark Kennedy? No disrespect to Mark Kennedy, of course. Um, but I still agree with you. I mean, you take out their uh, their goal from six yards or whatever it was and their xg so their chances created uh, was lower than our xg against port vale and we created very very little against port vale yet they scored three do you know what i mean and, and bear in mind that's taking the penalty out by the way so you take mm-hmm. our penalty out and we still created more against port vale in 90 minutes than shrewsbury created against reading if you take out their goal from six yards out word on tom bloxham you see, I, i'm quite interested on this point me too. Because he's he's actually the player that scored for Morecambe uh, against us in the FA Cup. I really liked him and I was really surprised to see him at Morecambe because I thought he looked like he was a decent player. There's another lad in the Shrewsbury team who I don't like, uh, but he's a good player. And that's Daniel Udo because he smashed Jacko in the face a couple of years ago off the ball and never got punished for it. Um, or with an elbow in an aerial duel or something. He's got seven goals now so what they what they scored 26 he scored almost you know 30 percent of their goals give or take um i don't like ryan bowman five goals all season three of them in the fa cup against Notts county he's a poor man's Jaden stockley and let's face it um if you're a poor man's Jaden stockley you're not a rich man's anything uh, but i i just feel that it's a game that i'm looking at thinking we should win it but i feel less confident about winning it than I did against Port Vale because I think I, I agree with that yeah I agree with that because they do have some threatening players like you say yeah. Udo is a handful he's probably the only player that they really have that's has the physical presence and um to, to challenge our centre-halves Jordan Shipley playing for the board now he's got five assists this season they've got some decent players it's just they are susceptible to to, to letting um to consider chances to <laughs> well, yeah, they are that as well. <laughs> There's a to consider chances, which surprised me when looking into these stats because I always felt that they their big issues was, was goal scoring. Um, but for them to be 22nd in XG against, that really surprised me, bearing in mind that we are second in the league for XG against. Now, we are the second best team in terms of the quality of chances we concede. Uh, that's a huge difference. That's a huge, huge, huge difference. So, yeah, they've got a bit of a threat. Um, but, yeah, I just... I think the nervousness comes... Because we've actually got something to play for now. You know, a couple of games ago, it was it almost Miles. felt like, yeah, exactly. Because it, we didn't really seriously think that was the case. Um, that game against Exeter, I said in the, on, on the podcast, that first half had a very end of season feel to it uh, against Exeter. I, I think looking back, it was more kind of two half decent teams cancelling each other out rather than being a poor game of football. But there wasn't a huge amount of intensity to it. It didn't feel like there was a huge amount riding on it. It looked like just two mid-table teams that were never going to be troubled either side. A couple of games later, we've we've got a bit of something to play for here, and every game just feels a bit more important now. And I think because of that, you've got more to lose, haven't you? Um, and maybe that's where that comes from. I think the other thing to note is Aaron Pierre is out, um, okay. he's one of their bigger players. He came off injured against Reading, just reading that Paul Hurst says that he'll be out for a few weeks, and Daniel Udo didn't play on Saturday, yeah. so Ryan Bowman came in and Udo was out injured. So whether he'll be back for Tuesday or not, I don't know that would give me a little bit more confidence. Not because they those two players are crucial to everything that they do, but because it's just where you start having shuffle things around a little bit. It just has that 
that knock-on effect, doesn't it? We've seen it. Where, where we've we put 11 out who you think that's a decent 11, but it's not the 11 that's been playing the last 10 games. And so I think it has that little bit of a knock-on effect. Um, but it'll be interesting. It's a game where we've got two massive games this week and there's no doubt in that. And all this crazy talk of playoffs, which is great fun. I, I, I love it. Um, but it's a pipe dream. But that's what football's about. People say you couldn't write a script like this and all that sort of thing. And, you know, to be 15 points outside the playoffs on the 1st of February and potentially six on the 28th of February. Massive. I, I, that would be massive. And if you're only six points behind, it doesn't seem so pie in the sky, does it? And like you say, teams have got to play each other. You still got Orient to play Stevenage and all that sort of stuff. It's just nice. It's nice to be in this position. It's nice to know that we are not going to be looking down. Um, and that was a fear, wasn't it? For you and I, I think in January, certainly after the Blackpool game, you think, oh, well, we've got Derby and Peter, but if we don't pick up results against them, we're going to be looking down. And, and we're not. We're not looking down. We're comfortable. Yeah, I think January was interesting because I had confidence that we could pull ourselves away from it and everything would be okay. And I think we knew the underlying reasons as to why we were struggling. But it was, we hadn't done it yet. You know, we hadn't got, had the evidence yet. We, we felt we knew we were going to be all right, but we didn't know. We hadn't seen it. And now we've seen it and full of confidence now. And uh, just, just quickly on Shrewsbury, um, I think this is going to be a very, very different game than it was on Saturday against Port Vale. Probably against a similar opponent, um, but I think how we how we beat them is very, very different. I think we win this game by being patient. Um, they have the lowest average possession in the league. Obviously, we're not massively high in that list, but theirs is the lowest. And I think we've improved in our in-possession play. It can always be polished, of course. But I like to think that we are going to be better on the ball than them, for the, certainly in, that, in, in the first two-thirds of the pitch. And I think that little, it was only one move, but that little minute or so that we had towards the end of the first half against Port Vale that we discussed earlier. Now, that style of football, I think, is how we beat we beat Shrewsbury on Saturday. I think, actually, we we don't have to outfight them. I think I think we, our level of work rate and is almost a given now, which is obviously a lovely place to be. I think... I think we beat Shrewsbury Town by being better footballers, by being a better technical team than they than they are. Sometimes that isn't enough. Sometimes that sort of team actually comes out on the wrong side of, of results because they don't always have that other end of it. But I think this particular game on Saturday, uh, on Tuesday, sorry, it's it's a game where if we're on form with our in-possession play, then I think we can be reasonably comfortable here. Um if we're off it and it becomes a little bit of a, a transitional game, it can be really ugly. And I have to say, as the wind did, did, did play a part, but the 1-0 the win away at Shrewsbury this season, earlier this season, was one of the worst games of footballs I've, I've seen for a long time. It's a really poor game. Nice result, but a terrible game of football. Um, and I think we, we want to avoid that type of game by being patient and controlling the game in possession. I think if we do that, then we'll, then we'll get three points and we can get excited about Saturday then, can't we? Certainly seems a long while ago since we beat Shrewsbury 1-0. Um, not so long ago since the Peterborough 0-0 and we were sitting here and we looked at six games in February. Uh, I think I said 12 points from those six games. I said games. 12 points and we're saying basically is what I said. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've now taken 13 points from those from five of those games. So we could take 15 from a potential 18 um, which I think has underlined and backed up everything that we were saying through January and February. We've kept five clean sheets in our last seven games. Um, 
I think that we were on the right track. I think that was always going to be the case under Michael Scavala. There was the hiccup, um, which I think was as much to do with the players available, that four-game losing streak or six games without a, a league win. In fact, it was more than that, wasn't it? It was eight or nine games without a league win, I seem to think. But we're in a good place. We haven't been playing particularly well the last couple of weeks. Exeter and Port Vale weren't convincing wins, but they were wins to nil. So what is a convincing win, really? Um, you know, It's not all about dominating. It's about picking up points at the business end of the season. Uh, and as Ben says, there's always somebody that comes into the playoffs late on. Just to clarify, by the way, my article wasn't aimed at Ben. I hadn't realised that he had said that, so I wasn't being critical of Ben. Um, but we disproved that notion. But there has been precedence of teams clawing back a huge deficit from 10th, never 11th, 10th. And that's where we are. It's happened before. It could happen again. Um, you've got to dare to dream, Lincoln City fans, because without dreams and without aspirations, what are we? We're just a species eating Subway Tex-Mexes and getting heartburn at the thought of playing Shrewsbury Town. In one week's time, I'm hoping that we'll be drinking champagne and sitting three points outside the playoffs. We have been the Stacey West podcast. It has been a pleasure to be in your ears for an hour, but we're now going to let you go. Up the imps. Up the imps. Your up the imps was better than mine. Just a minute. Up the imps. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.